And so, but it's, uh, there's so many underlying things in the Bible that are important that lead us in this direction, so we're going to cover that. And there's quite a bit. I got like uh, 50 pages of notes here, so we'll have to go fairly fast. If I get the feeling we won't finish it, then I'll relax. But if I think I can get it done, then we'll just try to charge right through it. So in your notes, number one, our going to heaven, our going to heaven, receiving a glorified body, living with Jesus forever in incomprehensible joy is the hope of the church. In other words, when we talk about what's Christianity about, occasionally somebody will say, you know, I've trusted Jesus. My life hasn't gotten any better. I said, did you think it was supposed to? Well, isn't that what happens when you become a Christian? Then life gets better. No, no, it's not until you get to heaven it gets better. Some countries, if you become a Christian, what you have to look forward to is martyrdom. What you have to look forward to is everything you own and getting confiscated. There's no place in the Bible that says that if you become a Christian, now all of a sudden everything becomes cool. Uh, life can get uh, even tougher. And so God doesn't promise a good life because you become a Christian, but He does promise eternity in heaven uh, with a glorified body that's amazing, incomprehensible, uh, and that's, that's what it's about. John 14, this is the most... Uh, I love this passage. I've, I've memorized it and I, I go over it regularly. Do not let your heart be troubled. A lot of people need to read that today in our culture. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will come again. That's what we're talking about. He's coming back and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Where I am, there you may be also. Now that's a statement about my worth to him. Your worth to him. Where he is, that's where I'll be. He's coming to receive me. He's building a house for me, a place to stay, and he's going to come get me. And that event... Uh, is the rapture. Number two, the word that is used by many for the event of our going to heaven is the word rapture. <clears throat> it's been around for a long time. Now, as I read, uh, as I watch these videos on YouTube about the rapture and then see people's comments afterwards, one of the common comments is, well, that's a man-made event. The word rapture is not even in the Bible. Assuming that because it's not in the Bible, it's a man-made event. Luke 24, 51, while he was blessing them, he, uh, let's see. Yeah, rapture. Um, uh, Luke 24, 50, let's see, I've got that totally out of whack there. Excuse me a minute while I get my notes back in order. That's uh, how that happened. I don't have a clue. Miss Krause probably got a hold of them and messed them up. <laughs> All right, here we go. I got it. Number three, many people complain that the word is not biblical, that it's made up. There's no such event called the rapture. You'll, you'll hear that a lot, uh, that some dude hundred years ago came up with the word, invented the whole concept of the rapture, but it's not in the Bible. It's new, and so it's a common complaint about this topic of the rapture.
Number four, there are many words used to describe an event, a truth, or a doctrine that are not in the Bible, such as the word Trinity. So if I was in a discussion with somebody and I was telling them I'm going to teach a class on the rapture, and they say, oh, the rapture, that's just a made-up word, made-up topic, word's not even in the Bible, and I might suggest, did you know the word Trinity is not in the Bible either? Uh, but we understand what that word means, and the concept is in the Bible, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus saying, I and the Father are one. We see all the information there, and we give a, a term to it that may not be in the Bible, but we understand the concept that's in the Bible. Uh, number five, the word rapture comes from the Latin word rapturo. The Latin word rapturo. Oh, obvious question. Why? Why did they take a Latin word to come up with that? Uh, well, the, the New Testament was written in Greek, but the uh, Romans conquered the Greeks. And uh, so... Hebrew and Greek were the language, and then it was translated into the language of the people. Uh, number six, in 1405, St. Jerome finished his translation of the Bible from Greek into Latin. So translations of the Bible in various languages have happened since the beginning. The, the Hebrew was translated into Greek, called a Septuagint, and then the Greek was translated into Latin, uh, four, uh, 400 A.D. approximately. Uh, because uh, the Roman Empire and Latin became the predominant language instead of Greek, and so they translated it into the language of the people. Um, number seven, it's called the, Vol the Vulgate. It's kind of a funny name. Vulgate, it sounds the name of a, a motorcycle or a ship. The Vulgate, which Latin means the common language. common language. That's what everybody spoke, and they translated. And so it was the official uh, Bible of the Catholic Church until the Reformation for about a thousand years. And so uh, the word rapturo was where we get the word rapture. And, uh, and so if you, of course, look at the Greek language, number eight, the Latin word rapturo was the translation of the Greek word harpazo, which means caught up, lifted up. So I, I said uh, here a while back that I, hadn't, I didn't tell Patty I loved her for the first 20 years we were married. And the reason I didn't is because I didn't grow up with that. I never heard my dad say, I love you to us, to my mom, vice versa. And so I, I just wasn't part of my vocabulary or my thinking. After we'd been married 20 years, uh, my dad was dying of, lung, uh, of liver cancer. And so I worked up the courage to say, I love you to him. And then thought, I, I should probably tell my wife I love her. And so I made a goal to do that. And, but I remembered I did say I love you when we were dating, but I said it to her in Greek. I was taking Greek, and I really didn't want to, you know, and so I told her I loved her in Greek. I told her that that's what I said, but it was in Greek. And then the first time I held her hand, we dated for some time, and I took her up to Trout Lake when it was snow on the ground. We went sledding, and she fell down in the snow, and I reached my hand down, and I said, Harpazo. She said, excuse me? I said, uh, would you like me to lift you up? <laughs> That's what the Greek word harpazo means, is to lift up. And she said, oh, yes, thank you very much. And I never turned loose of her hand for the next couple of hours. And uh, so harpazo turned into more than harpazo there. But that's what the Greek word means, caught up. First Thessalonians 4.16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. Caught up. That's the Greek word harpazo, the word that was translated into rapturo, where we get the word rapture. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall always be with the Lord. We shall always be with the Lord. That's going to be such a cool event. Uh, when that event occurs, we're going to be changed in a moment, then twinkling of an eye, get in a glorified body, take off, whoo, meet the Lord in the air, head off to heaven. Second Corinthians 12, 2, I know a man who, in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I don't know, God knows. Such a man was caught up, caught up, harpazo, to the third heaven. Now, Paul got to have a tour of heaven and come back again. I've often prayed, Lord, that would make a, such a difference in my life. I mean, I would be so full of fire and passion. Just, I don't need five minutes. Just give me a tour for five minutes. All right, four minutes. Okay, 60 seconds. So far, I haven't had it. I think when I get mine, it's going to be the final one. Uh, we'll see. Anyway, Paul got to go to heaven. He got caught up. I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise, heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Luke 24, 51, while he was blessing them, this is Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, harpazo, Acts 1, 9. After he had said these things, he was lifted up, harpazo, Jesus, while they were looking on. A cloud received him out of their sight. As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. <clears throat> they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up, harpazo, from you into heaven will come just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. It's going to happen reverse. He's going to come back. Number nine, the rapture of the church was a mystery. You remember we went through that previously. The word mystery means previously unrevealed truth. The Bible is given progressively. Uh, it was written over the years, and uh, new truth was revealed, and so you can't read new truth into the past. And so the rapture was not revealed until the Apostle Paul. He was the first one uh, to teach about the rapture, and uh, nobody talked, it, talked about it until he did. Let's see, I skipped a passage, didn't I? Did I? Uh, I did. PowerPoint people, I skipped some verses, didn't I? Anyway, I'm sorry about all that. Um, number nine, we are number nine? Okay, we're going to jump over in verses that I may have skipped there. Number nine, the rapture of the church was a mystery until the Lord revealed it to the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, 15. Now, I say this. This is Paul speaking. This is where that information is revealed. I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. That means this body can't make it into heaven. Uh, this uh, flesh won't function there. Uh, the perishable can't inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery, a mystery. That's previously unrevealed truth. And so Paul is the first one to say this. We will not all sleep, that is, die. We will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. We will be changed. This perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. 
And so that's the rapture, that's when we're caught up, that's when our body is changed, that's when the dead in Christ are raised. Uh, number 10, the only scripture that is valid to define and describe the doctrine of the rapture is that written at the same time or after the Apostle Paul. So when he said mystery, nothing had been revealed prior to that. Previously unrevealed truth. <clears throat> Number 11, scripture passages given by Jesus in the Gospels are not talking about the rapture, but the second coming of Jesus at the end of the tribulation. I don't know how many times I hear people quote passages from the Gospel as a proof of their view of the rapture. And the problem with that is that the rapture was a mystery until the Apostle Paul, so anything spoken by Jesus was before that date, not talking about the rapture, but the second coming. Second coming is not the rapture. They're two separate events separated by seven years, a uh, period of time. <clears throat> Number 12, there are two events, the rapture of the church, the second coming of Jesus. So if you confuse these two, you will end up with hash. Uh, they're two separate events, but people all the time mush them together. And so I'm going to read you some verses, and uh, you kind of guess. Is this talking about the rapture or the second coming? Just see how uh, alert you are. Jude chapter 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Rapture or second coming? It's talking about the rapture. Daniel 2.44 In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush, put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future so the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. What's that? That's the kingdom, the second coming. The second coming, Jesus is king, setting his kingdom up on the world. Titus 2.12, instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. It's rapture. So there's some clues in each of them. Daniel 7.13, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. He came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, and all, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's a pretty easy one. Second coming. Now, one of the characteristics, second coming, Jesus lands on the planet. The rapture, he just comes into the clouds. We meet him there, and we head off. Second coming, Jesus is coming as king. He's coming to conquer. He's coming to set up a kingdom. Rapture, he's just coming to take us home. Um, that's all that's involved in that. Hebrews 9.28, So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await for him. 
I'm waiting eagerly. I'm waiting eagerly. That's the rapture. Zechariah 14.4. In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Got your clue right there. His feet on the earth. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. One foot is going to be on one side, one foot on the other. Big split right in the middle when Jesus lands on the Mount of Olives. Um, then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. We'll look in a minute who those are, those holy ones. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea, the other half toward the western sea. The Lord will be king over all the earth. And that day, the Lord will be the only one, his name the only one. People will live in it. There will be no longer be a curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. That's pretty obvious. Second coming. Jesus is king. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven in which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Rapture. Um, Luke 21. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, dismay among nations and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear, and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Second, com second coming. It's in the Gospels. So you know it's the second coming. Thirteen, the failure to keep Bible verses about these two events separate results in much hash theology. They sound similar because Jesus is coming. But one, he's coming as king, conqueror. He comes to the earth. The other one, he's coming as savior. And he doesn't come to the earth. We meet him in the sky, in the clouds, and it's written for the church. So uh, last week we talked about amillennialism, we talked about premillennialism, and we talked about postmillennialism, and we arrived at the conclusion that anybody who believes in a literal interpretation of the Bible believes that Israel is still the people of God. Premillennialism is the only place you can land. And so those who are premillennialists hold to one of five different views on the timing of the rapture. There's probably more than five, but there's five predominant views of the timing of the rapture, when it will occur. Fifteen, the pre-tribulational or pre-trib view believes that we get raptured before the seven-year tribulation period begins. So the millennial kingdom, last week we talked about uh, that being literal, a thousand years, Jesus on the planet earth ruling in Jerusalem, Satan is bound for a thousand years, the curse is no longer valid, there's not going to be any weeds in your garden, there's not going to be any mosquitoes or yellow jackets. Uh, it's going to be a thousand years of no curse, Jesus on the planet ruling over the world. Prior to that thousand-year period, there's a period called the tribulation. It's seven years, described Old Testament and new as seven-year period of time. So now the question we're asking, is the rapture going to happen at the beginning of the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation? And so you have pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and then we have partial-trib. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, 16, the post-trib view believes that the church goes through the tribulation. It's raptured at the end. Now, I don't like that view. I don't want to go through the tribulation. People talk about, yeah, now piece of cake. Read about the tribulation in Revelation. 
Tell me it's a piece of cake. 17, the mid-trib view believes that we get raptured in the middle. So the first three and a half years of the tribulation are, are not uh, as, near as bad as the last half. First half, only a third of the people in the world get killed. <laughs> so it's, you know, piece of cake. The second half, it's this all hell breaks loose, as they say. It's a bad, bad time. And so mid-trib say, in the middle. That's when it's going to happen. 18, the pre-wrath view believes that we get raptured a little beyond the middle. It's sort of a unique twist on the mid-trib view. That's a fairly new uh, view that's gained popularity of late. 19, the partial rapture view. Believes that those who are ready get raptured before the tribulation. Those who aren't ready, uh, they cook some more. So it kind of deals with this problem of lukewarm Christians. So if you are serving Jesus, following Jesus, the rapture happens, off you go. But if you're not, you're one of those lukewarm dudes, you've got to stick around for a while uh, and get refined some more, and then you get raptured at some later point, probably martyred uh, before the rapture comes. That was a popular view. Um, uh, Watchman Nee and, and a couple of missionaries in China came up with that view and uh, became popular with them. 20, there are 10 reasons why Pastor D, that's me, believes very strongly that he will be raptured before the seven-year tribulation period starts. So if I don't convince you with those 10, that's okay. Um, we'll just compare notes when we get there and see how we do there. So I'm going to give those 10 to you. A, in your notes, because there are numerous Bible passages that promise that the church will not be part of the tribulation. Seems pretty straightforward to me when he says, uh, you won't be here. So some would come up with some other reasons for that. Revelations 3.10. So Revelations 2 and, 2 and 3 are written to seven churches prior to the rest of the book kind of telling us the churches that are existence then and also a history of the church. And in chapter 3 it says, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. Now that term hour means a specific definite period of time. It's not keeping us from testing in general. It's a particular time period. The hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And so that's pretty straightforward unless you believe that hour of testing is talking about uh, Second World War or the Vietnam War or if it's talking about the year 2020 uh, or whatever. But the context, book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3 leading up to the tribulation description in chapter 4 through 18 uh, when he makes that statement. Uh, this is the church of Philadelphia. There are seven churches there are two churches of the seven that are perfect in that nothing bad is said about them. And this church, he said, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And so from my reading, that's basically saying, you don't go through the tribulation. I'm going to keep you from that. First Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11. God has not destined us for wrath 
God has not destined us for wrath. Now, I can't say that that doesn't mean we don't have trouble because we have tons of trouble in this life. He has not destined us for wrath, for the, but for the obtaining of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build up one another, just as you also are doing. So God has not destined us for wrath. Wrath often is the term used for the tribulation. You have the wrath and the great wrath. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 through 10, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God to wait for his Son from heaven, to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come who rescues us from the wrath to come. And so those who would be post-trib would say, that's talking about hell. The term wrath is used for the tribulation repeatedly. Second reason I believe that the rapture will happen before the tribulation, because the rapture of the church is imminent, meaning Jesus can come any moment with nothing needed to be completed before he comes. So, if I believe that the rapture occurs after the tribulation, then the rapture is not imminent. Because the sign of the beginning of the tribulation is very clear. There is a guy called the Antichrist who will sign a treaty between Israel and the world, giving Israel permission to rebuild the, ta- the, the temple. That's not happened. And so, rapture can't happen if it's after the tribulation, because that hasn't happened. In the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist breaks the treaty and the contract, walks into the temple, sacrifices a pig, declares himself God of the world. That hasn't happened. And even though we've got to wear a mask, you know, according to the governor, we still don't have a mark on the hand or on the forehead yet that requires us before we can buy ourselves. That hasn't happened. So the rapture is not an imminent event if it occurs after the tribulation. In fact, if it happens after the tribulation, I can predict within a week when it's going to happen. Because you can see right in the book of Revelation, this happens. You got the, you got the scroll judgments, and then you got the, the trumpet judgments, and then you got the bowl judgments. Each one are described in detail. It isn't until you get to the last bowl judgment, and there's a big earthquake, and Jerusalem is flattened, and there's hailstones come out of heaven that weigh 100 pounds. Then... So I can predict when it's going to happen if it's at the end of the tribulation because the tribulation is detailed all through the book of Revelation, what's going to happen, what's going to happen next. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, Now as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now when you describe the rapture, uh, one of the things is it's imminent. It's going to happen any time. Regularly, seven times in the epistles to the church, it says, you are waiting eagerly. Now, you're waiting eagerly for him coming to take you. Well, if we're after the tribulation, I'm not waiting eagerly. I've got at least seven years. Man, I've got to put up with some stuff before he comes. So there's, waiting eagerly means there's this, this anticipation at any moment. Uh, while they are saying, now here's an 11th reason. I didn't make it 11th because I'm going to read this passage. Uh, notice the pronouns. Okay, I'm going to read this to you. While they, that's not us, that's they. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them, not us. Suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, they 
That's they, them, not us. They will not escape. But you, you brethren, not in the darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. Let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night. Those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the helmet of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we shall live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. It's imminent any moment. It's a signless event. Revelation chapter uh, three, this is again the seven churches. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. You're dead. I mean, you call yourself a church, but you don't believe in the Bible, you don't believe in, the, in grace, you're dead. Wake up, strengthen the things that remain which are about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know at what hour I will come to you. Imminent return of Jesus, I will come like a thief. You don't have a clue when it's going to be. If it's after the tribulation, I can predict it within a week because it's described in detail exactly what's going to happen. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father, before his angels. He who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If the rapture is after the tribulation, we have at least seven years before Jesus takes us to heaven. <clears throat> Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait. We eagerly wait for a Savior. This was written 2,000 years ago. And ever since then, we've been eagerly waiting for Jesus to come back. He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Many say that the early church fathers didn't teach about the rapture. They didn't use that word. But what they did teach was the any moment coming of Jesus. Now, I read a lot of the early church fathers, their writings. Polycarp, one of my favorite, and others. And as they write, and they wrote a lot uh, to the churches, uh, one of the things that's in almost all of the writing, is the imminent return of Jesus, waiting eagerly for the return of Christ. And so when they say, well, it wasn't taught in the early church, it was. It just wasn't using the word rapture because that word didn't come around until they translated the Greek uh, into Latin and came up with the word. But the imminent return of Jesus, where our bodies would be transformed, chains, and we would go to heaven to be with him, was taught constantly. See, because the doctrine of the rapture was intended to give comfort to the saints that were already in trials and tribulations. So when you became a believer, when the Apostle Paul was around, the probability of you getting tortured was quite high. Read the book of Hebrews, read the book of Fox's book of martyrs about what the various Roman emperors did to Christians. 
And so they, uh, they experience a lot of tribulation in their life. And so the writings of Paul, uh, written to the church, the doctrine of the rapture was intended to give comfort. Well, if you've got to go through the seven-year tribulation period, and you're already being persecuted by Nero, what kind of comfort is that? You're going to get raptured, but you've got to go through seven years of hell first. Yeah, let's comfort each other with that, huh? First Thessalonians 4, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not, that's dead, died, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For we, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if we're Christians, born again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, not on the earth. So we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. That's what is designed, the truth of the rapture. By the way, some of you asked me about, what happens when I die today? Well, those who have died will come with Jesus, and then they will be resurrected. Their, their, our spirits go to heaven. The part of me that's eternal uh, goes to heaven. I'm with him to be uh, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then when he comes back, uh, we come with him, uh, our spirit being, and then we get a glorified body just before the ones that are still alive on the planet Earth do. We get our glorified bodies, and then they do. Ha, ah, can't wait. Cool. My glorified body is going to be so great, awesome. Every time I groan, oh, I can't wait for my glorified body. It's going to be strong and skinny with lots of hair and sing super good, better than Ben. And uh, D, because of the fact that the church is with Jesus when he comes to set up his kingdom on earth. So every person who died already since the day of Pentecost, and if we die before he comes back, uh, every soul that has died will be with him when he comes back. So if it happens at the end of the tribulation, it's going to be sort of a quick switcheroo. Boop, boop, boop. You, you go up and then you come back. Uh, and Revelation 19.11, I saw heaven opened, behold, a white horse. Now this is second coming. He who sat on it is called faithful and true. Righteousness he judges and wages war. Second coming's after the tribulation. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. The armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Who is that? That's me. Who else in the Bible is clothed with white garments and clean? Just the church. And as I said, I hate horses. So I'm going to be riding a Harley Davidson. You ride whatever you want. 
armies are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean. We're following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men. These are all the individuals that are going to fight against Jesus when he comes, um, both free and slaves, on small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. That's us. First Thessalonians 3.13, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints with all his saints. Zechariah 14, 5, Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. That's us. Jude 14 through 15, It was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all of the ungodly, uh, ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an un ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Many thousands of his holy ones. Revelation 17, 14. These will wage war against the Lamb and the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords, King of kings and those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. Those who are with him, that's me. And you, maybe. I don't know about you. I know about me. E, because Revelations 4, 18, 4 through 18 makes no mention of the church. So Revelation begins with chapter 1, profound theological statement, right? Begins with chapter 1, goes to chapter 2, goes to chapter 3. Chapter 2 and chapter 3 are the seven churches. It's a history of the church age up to the point. Chapter 4 through 18, describe the tribulation period. Now, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, the church is mentioned 17 times. That's a lot. Chapter 4 through 18, not mentioned, not even once. Uh, it's a total absence of any reference to the church uh, as Revelation describes the tribulation period. Did I just give you E? You got E? Okay, F. Because the primary purpose for the tribulation is to bring Israel as a people to Jesus as their Messiah. So, is the tribulation mentioned in the Old Testament? About a hundred times. It's not called the tribulation primarily. It's called the day of the Lord, a day of wrath, a day of reckoning. Uh, lots of different names, but it's mentioned over a hundred times in the Old Testament. And in every reference in the Old Testament, there's a surrounding context. The context is the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel. What's the purpose of the tribulation according to the Old Testament? To bring Israel to God. To bring them to repentance. They are a rebellious nation that has fallen away, fallen away, fallen away, fallen away from God. And all through the Old Testament is prophesied, the day of the Lord is coming, day of great wrath, and all Israel will be saved. It's repeated over and over and over again. Romans, Paul says this, 
I do not want you, to, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, word mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. He's talking to the church now, the church who think all of a sudden they've taken over Israel's spot, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all, the, so all, all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Matthew chapter 10. Now this is an interesting passage. This is a prophetic statement that Jesus makes that most people never get. Never pick this one up, but there's a clue in it at the very end. So uh, he's talking here in Matthew chapter 10 about the tribulation period. His disciples are with him, and he's prophesying about future disciples. So listen as I read this. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease, every kind of sickness. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. Simon uh, called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go into the way of the Gentiles, do not enter any city of the Samaritans, rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven was when Jesus would be here on the planet earth, ruling the earth and the nation of Israel with him. It's at hand. Was it at hand? It hadn't happened yet. Depends, I guess, on your definition of hand. It's a prophetic statement that Jesus is making. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the workers worthy of his support. Whatever city you, or village you enter, inquire who is worthy. Stay at his house until you leave. As you enter that house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit, your Father, who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child. Children will raise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who endures to the end who will be saved. But whoever, but whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. Truly I say to you, get this, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. So, He's talking to his disciples. That hasn't happened. You will not finish going to the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. It's because it's a prophetic statement about the future. Uh, Revelation chapter 7, verse 3 through 4, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 
So 12 disciples, they were a type or a picture of the future of the 144,000. Now these dudes are going to go through Israel. What are they going to do? They're going to be witnesses. They're going to reach out and share the gospel with Jews. And Jesus already gave the instruction, don't go anyplace, just Israel. And save all the Jews. Daniel 12. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, that's Israel, will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time and at that time your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. There will be a time of distress never like that in the history of the world. A tribulation is going to come and your people, the nation of Israel, they're going to be rescued. The tribulation is a major Old Testament topic always revolving around the nation of Israel. always revolving around the nation of Israel. We're not mentioned the church. So let me read another long passage to you, Zechariah 12, the burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Concerning Israel, thus declares the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundations of the earth, forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured. All the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. In that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with bewilderment and his rider with madness. But I will watch over the house of Judah while I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, A strong support for us are the inhabitants of Jerusalem through the Lord of hosts, their God. And that day I will make the clans of Judah like a firepot among the pieces of wood and a flaming torch among sheaves so that they will consume on the right hand and on the left all the surrounding peoples while the inhabitants of Jerusalem again dwell on their own site in Jerusalem. The Lord also will save the tents of Judah first so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem will not be magnified above Judah. And that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the one who is feeble among them and that day will be like David and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And in that day I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. I will pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of the grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will weep bitterly over him like the the bitter weeping over a firstborn, they will recognize Jesus as their Messiah, as a nation. Uh, and that's describing the time of the tribulation. G, because another major purpose of the tribulation is to stir many Gentiles to accept Jesus as their Savior. <clears throat> so there's a verse in the Bible, it's an interesting one. God says, they ignored me, they ignored me, they ignored me, and then when I killed them, they turned to me. It's like that old statement, there are no atheists in foxholes. And so the people that are left after we're gone, unbelievers, rejected Christ, and then they are going to go through an awful time. And there's going to be a great revival. Can you imagine being an unbeliever and everybody you know that was a Christian has gone? Boop. Thought pops into your head. Oops. They were right. I was wrong. 
I better get a Bible and see what's next. Um, Revelation 6, 9, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging, avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe. They were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants, their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been, would be completed. You know, the bad thing about being a Christian and becoming a believer in the tribulation is that you're going to get martyred. Uh, you're going to get martyred. Revelation 7, 9. After these things I looked, behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches were in their hands. They cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell down on their face before the throne, worshiping God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. One of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they? It's a quiz. You know what you do when you don't want to get it wrong? You say, uh, Who are they? Where'd they come from? I said to him, Lord, you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll get the answer from you. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so, as great as the sand of the sea, that's the number of people that convert to Jesus. Revelations 24, Then I saw thrones, they sat on them, judgment was given to them. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So, lots of Gentiles get saved, but... No mention of the church. H, because the church is the power of God holding back Satan and the kingdom of darkness from going crazy on the earth. Now, the church is the power of God that maintains a level of peace and holiness that exists on this earth if it weren't for the church, the kingdom of darkness would go crazy and what they would do. You think it's bad now. Pull the church out of the scene and uh, the rise and fall of the quality of life on the world is dependent on the power of the church. When the church becomes weak, things get messy because Satan gains an upper hand. You say, why are things happening the way they are? The church has gotten wimpy. So Satan can do more than he's been able to do because we are what holds back the darkness Matthew 16, 18, I say to you, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell of Hades will not overpower it. I will build my church, the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, that is in the heavenlies. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in the heavenlies. The church, we are the authority, the power of God. We're the ones that hold the kingdom of darkness from running amok. Ephesians 6.10, Finally be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That's what our struggle is against. 2 Thessalonians 2, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, coming of Jesus, that's the rapture, and our gathering together to him, that you be not quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed, 
either by a spirit or a messenger, a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So why would they get upset about that? Somebody sends a letter, signs it as from Paul, but not really saying, okay, you're in the tribulation. And they get all excited and upset. They missed the rapture. So Paul says, don't be excited. That's not for me. That's not for me. Do not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you. It will not come. That is, us leaving unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember? Paul says, don't you remember what I told you earlier? That while I was still with you, I was telling you these things, and you know what restrains him now. You know what restrains him now, the power of darkness. That's the church. So that in his time, he will be revealed, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. That's the church. We restrain. We're the, the, the uh, ones that keep darkness at bay and we'll be taken out of the way and then poo, the tribulation comes because the devil, the Antichrist, can all come to power uh, because of the power of the church. Uh, because the apostasy mentioned by Paul in Second Thessalonians is the rapture and obviously happens before the tribulation. So this is a cool passage. Second Thessalonians again. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our coming, uh, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our gathering together to in the rapture of the church, that you not get shaken uh, because you got this letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. The day of the Lord is the tribulation. They would be shaken because, oops, we got left behind. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it, that is, our rapturing, will not come. Uh, or excuse me, the day of the Lord will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Now the word apostasy is a translation of a Greek word. And often when translators translated words, they did a little bit of eisegesis. They decided what it meant, and then they uh, translated it accordingly. And so a better translation for that word is the word uh, taken up. The apostasy happens first. People say, oh, there's going to be a great falling away. There's no, nothing prophesied about a great falling away, but it's written in such a way that they would know what he's talking about. The apostasy, that's a specific event that occurs. Uh, that it comes first, and then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, the son of destruction. And so... The, Greek, the root Greek word used in this passage, jumping down there, jumping down, uh, the root Greek word used in this passage, we'll get to it in a second. Keep going past that passage. PowerPoint people. Okay, keep going down past that there we go. Okay, the root Greek word used in this passage is that I just read is used 15 times in the New Testament. And 11 of those times it is translated depart, not apostasy. 
depart. It's the departure, the departure. What's the departure? That's me leaving. You too, if you want. The definite article is used before the word, making the meaning the departure. It's a specific event that the Thessalonians understood clearly. And so he says, hey, don't worry that you're in the day of the Lord. That's not going to come. The day of the Lord, the tribulation won't happen until the departure happens, until that which is holding the Antichrist at bay is taken out of the way. J, because the tribulation begins with a scene in heaven with the church there. Theologically profound statement, Revelation chapter 1 is first. Revelation chapter 2 is second. Revelation chapter 3 is third. The two and three talk about churches that existed during that time. Then we start with chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. The first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here. You know what that is? That's a picture. It's a type. After these things, a door standing open in heaven and a voice Come up here. You know, the first thing I'm going to, you know, here I am preaching, mowing my lawn, talking to Patty. What's the first thing that's going to happen when I get raptured? I'm going to hear a voice. Come up here. Whoo. It's going to sound cool. My body's changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Trumpet sounds. Boom. And I begin leaving. I'm hoping I leave slow. I saw a movie where they, boom, he just took off like Superman. I want to go slow and enjoy the experience. This, and if there's anybody, nah, 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 nah. no, I won't do that. I'll just say, trust Jesus quick. <clears throat> Come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, one sitting on the throne. He who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Twenty-four elders, that twenty-four is a, uh, you have twelve disciples, twenty-four is the number of the church. Twenty-four thrones, twenty-four elders, white garments, only ones that you ever see with white garments is the church, and golden crowns. The crowns are mentioned of the judgment seat of Christ. That's in heaven, and that's chapter 4. Chapter 4 is before the tribulation. Now, it might not be the church, but I'm pretty sure it is. Um, so there's 10 reasons gone really fast. So you can review all that if you have questions. There's actually 15, but I didn't want to give you five more. I gave you one more and got 11. But uh, my way of thinking as I study that uh, thoroughly, it's pretty clear. Um, we're going to get raptured. That's the next event. We're looking forward to it with great anticipation. And then uh, the tribulation, seven years. Uh, the nation of Israel will come back to Christ. There will be many converted during that time period. And at the end, we come back with Jesus as the army of God on our Harley Davidsons. And the kingdom is established. And we rule on the earth with Jesus for a thousand years. And then a new heaven, a new earth. And we don't know what's after that. But forever and ever and ever and ever. Okay, we got... Uh, two minutes, seven minutes for questions. Right, there's... Did I give you I? 
Yeah, put I on there. Here we go. Oh, yeah, the apostasy. That's the, the departure. I got confused in there. Sorry about that. Right here. Can you explain more about what the day of the Lord refers to Okay, the question is the day of the Lord. Now, we're going to have a whole lesson on that. Okay. The day of the Lord is the Old Testament phrase for the tribulation. It's the day of the wrath, day of the Lord, a uh, number of different ones. But the day of the Lord is used, I think, like 30 times in the Old Testament. And the book of Joel, the whole book is devoted to the day of the Lord. And it describes it as the tribulation period. The 70th week of Daniel uh, is the day of the Lord will be the tribulation period. So I'll have a whole lesson on that, describing what that's about. Which, you know, I don't really care. <laughs> I'm not going to be here. So those of you who think you're going to be here, you probably better take good notes on that one so you know what's going to happen to you in the day of the Lord. Good question. Other question? James right there. I'm not sure if this is in the right timeline or not, but um, after Jesus comes back and reigns for a thousand years on earth, um, is Satan then re-released to... Is this in the right time period, and why is he re-released if he's come back and established his kingdom on earth? Is that too... The question is, Satan is bound for a thousand years during the kingdom, and uh, there's no more uh, curse, and so it's going to be a great thousand years. There's going to be so much fishing, great fishing during that time. I'm going to be in charge of fishing during the, the millennial kingdom, I'm pretty sure. And so at the end of the thousand years, Satan is released for a short amount of time, and during the millennial kingdom, there are people who enter the kingdom alive from the tribulation. The sheep and goat judgment, we'll get to that. And they have babies during the millennial period. And because there's no disease and no sickness, only time you die is if you sin. And so there's a huge population explosion. And a lot of those people, they're, you know, Jesus is king on the world and you've got to do what you're supposed to do. And, but when the Satan comes, he's going to say, ah, you don't want to follow him, you want to follow me. And the number that follows Satan are like the sand of the sea. You think, how stupid can you get? You've just lived through a thousand years of amazing peace and tranquility, and now you're going to follow that dude. But they do. And so at the end of the tribulation, he's released for a short time. He misleads many people as sand, the sand of the sea. They rebel against Jesus, and they're destroyed. And then the great white throne judgment, they're judged, cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity, and we usher into eternity, whatever that means and whatever it looks like. The, uh, you said that the, uh, tr the rapture happens first and then tr the tribulation. Is there any correlation between the time between those two? Because uh, tribulation starts with an a specific event. Of the yeah. Question is, there is a time between the rapture. Does the tribulation happen immediately? Uh, it looks like there's a gap in there uh, happening uh, anywhere from 45 days to a couple of months, and so we'll, we'll look at that when we get to the tribulation topic in this class. But yeah, it's, uh, there's a bit of a gap. I finished reading the book of Ezekiel where they're talking about the new temple being built and the river flowing out of it, and then the land around was allotted to the 12 tribes, and he talks about the sojourners living with the 12 tribes. Is that us? Yes, we'll be in the kingdom, we'll be ruling uh, with Christ, we'll be in Jerusalem. No more questions, okay.
Hope you're not totally confused. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I do thank you that we, uh, uh, we know that you are God. You are in charge. You're in control. And no matter how bad things get, we know that you're coming back to take us. You're preparing a place for us. You will receive us to yourself that where you are, we will be. And we will be with you for all of eternity. Thank you that we're saved by grace. Lord, we make mistakes. We sin. We blow it almost daily. But we belong to you because of what you did for us on the cross. Thank you for that great hope that we have as we eagerly look for our Savior who will come and rescue us from the wrath to come. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.